Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. You can be seated tonight in Jesus' name. I keep forgetting things over here on the side, so I have to walk over and grab them tonight. I apologize. But if you all could turn with me to Galatians chapter 1, and while you're turning there, uh, I will go through some announcements, but this is where we're going to start tonight, and I'm believing for God to teach us uh, some great things through this lesson. I'm excited about what he did in the past lessons and uh, the series that we just got through, and so tonight we're going to start a new series and next week you get to hear from our wonderful pastor who is going to speak to you. Um, he's not necessarily going to go out of the book here, but he's just going to kind of do some teaching and some uh, speaking to you all. So come here, be excited for that next Wednesday night, and uh, God's going to do some wonderful things. So we are already in basically getting into the month of July, and so if you want to look at the screen, you can see that there's a lot of events going. We don't even have all the events on on this list that are actually going this month. But we don't have any evening services on July 4th and July 28th. The 28th is a Wednesday night service. The 4th is obviously a Sunday. It's this Sunday night. So just remember that we do not have a service this Sunday night. Uh, we have the Wyoming State Conference, which is July 7th through the 9th. It's a Wednesday through a Friday down in Rollins, Wyoming. So if you want to be a part of that, uh, we would encourage you to do so. Uh, Morel Corn. Is, is speaking there. He's a wonderful uh, speaker. You, you definitely won't want to miss that. If you can take those days off and give the four-hour drive down to Rollins, Wyoming. I know it's not an, an, a crazy, uh, amazing city with uh, stores and all that sort of thing, but if you want to go there for the presence of God, then you absolutely can experience the presence of God there. Uh, there's been some wonderful things that have happened there. Uh, God has just done amazing things inside of those services before. So if you can make it, if you can pay for that hotel, we would encourage you to go down there and be a part of that on those nights. We will still have a Wednesday night service on the 7th here. So if you can't make it, there still will be church here. So show up on the 7th. That's when our pastor will be speaking. Not only that, ladies meeting on the 11th, the week of prayer and fasting, the 11th through the 17th, so we want to encourage you to participate with us on that as well. That Saturday night, obviously having um, um, prayer that night as a group here at the church. Then we have a worship service on the 18th and a men's meeting on the 25th. Along with these events, we also have a youth event in Billings, Montana that you all are welcome to attend with us. Um, it's taking place, I believe, the 28th. 8th through the 30th, 28th through the 30th. It's again a Wednesday through a Friday. Um, Bobby Kilman, uh, who is the Dean of uh, Biblical Studies at IBC, will be speaking there, uh, doing a wonderful job. It's going to be a great time. Uh, the only thing with that is that if you want to participate in the day services, there is a fee uh, to register. So you can certainly come to the night services for free, but the day services, there is a charge that you have to pay to, to get in there. And you can register online. Uh, there's a website, a link there. You See me if you want to register for those as well. But after that, August 1st, he will be here speaking in our church that Sunday for morning and uh, that, that night as well. So we're excited because uh, he has some wonderful teachings. Um, he has studied the Bible through and through, and he is one of those people that you can ask difficult questions to, and he is able to answer those uh, just by teaching out of the Bible. And so it's going to be a wonderful time to have him here with us and just encourage us to, to know that the word that we serve, that the God that we we serve is very real and alive, that it's true, that what we believe in here is biblical, that it's not something that mankind has made up, it's not some doctrine that we have formed ourselves, but these are things that are inside of scripture, and we can trust and have authority as a result of that in Jesus' name. I want to mention to them that this 
place of the NAYC that is national. This is this region's um, version of that, that the NAYC has been canceled, and this is what's taking place. Yes, absolutely. So North American Youth Congress uh, was canceled. Uh, the, the event with 40,000 students that usually show up around that um, in Indianapolis. And the reason being is that the city was reserving the right to cancel that event up to uh, three days prior, um, which when you have an event that big, you can't just pull the plug three days before and say, we're going to be good. Uh, there would have been millions of dollars that would have potentially been lost in that. And so this is our region's uh, basically uh, idea or, or in place of that uh, for this to happen. So we're going to have split sessions, multiple things. It's going to be geared towards young people, young adults, but absolutely just a wonderful time up there. So uh, if you need any information on that, you can see me or you can go to RMD, uh, like uh, Robert Mary David, RMD Youth. Uh, org rmdyouth.org and you can find it under the events there and it has all the information there for you as well so praise god we have some good things going this month a lot of busyness but it means that god is doing some things and we want to be inspired for this next coming year we want to uh, have fuel inside of us so that we can launch forward into the things that god has uh, for us in jesus name so Galatians chapter 1 is where we're going to get into this uh, scripture tonight and this lesson tonight. We're talking about, can you go back one more? Sorry. We're talking about standing in liberty, which is uh, part of the only gospel, that what we have here is the only gospel of God. I know that there's a lot of religions, there's a lot of denominations that have taken extra books and added them to this, that have tried to explain this through many other books and began to use those other books as doctrine. I'm not saying that you can't use other books to help you understand the Bible, but we have to be careful that our doctrine, who we are, what we are, comes solely from the scripture that is before us, comes solely from this Bible that is here. And so we have only one gospel. The Bible says one Lord, one faith, one gospel, that, that sort of thing. So the reason that that is there is because that one has a significant number. It's a significant number inside of the Bible. So a lot of people want to preach the Trinity, but we know that there isn't three gods. There one God and we understand that if you lose that authority of that one God by splitting him into three gods then you completely dismiss everything that could have potentially happened as a result of, of you not believing in what scripture actually says and so these lessons here I hope will prove to you and show you that we only serve one gospel that there's only one true way of, of living for God inside of the scriptures and, and, and we're going to expound on that and explore maybe what God is talking to us and speaking to us as people of God that we are to become committed to what he has for us. And if we are willing to do that, then he will take us to new heights in Jesus' name. So tonight, we're going to talk about standing in liberty. What a fitting lesson for Independence Day. Liberty, independence, just being free and able to serve God the way that we uh, desire according to Scripture in Jesus' name. So Galatians chapter 1 and verse 8 it says, but though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. It is a very strong worded scripture here. And if you read, you will see that he actually quotes this a second time 
inside of these verses that he is telling the people, if you do not teach what is inside of this Bible, if you're teaching something that is different or a gospel that the people come up with or a gospel that this world comes up with, then that is something that can cause you to become cursed. Or basically what he is saying there is that it's far from God. It's something that God does not appreciate. It's something that God does not want to have a part of unless we are preaching the one true gospel. Not only that, but if we turn to uh, chapter 2 there, in uh, verse 11, I just want to read you this story. It, it was lined out here in this first paragraph. I know I usually read an introductory paragraph to you, but this is going to be that introductory par- paragraph tonight. In verse 11, chapter 2 and verse 11 of Galatians, it says this, But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. This is Paul speaking about Peter. And he said, for before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles, but when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews disassembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. But when I saw that they had walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, lives after the manner of the Gentiles and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? We who are Jews by nature are not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified in the faith of Jesus Christ, and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. And you can continue reading that that story there, but just to avoid maybe some confusion here tonight, this story comes originally from Acts chapter 10 and 11, where we see Peter in the midst of a group of people, and Peter has this vision from God that he can now begin to minister to the Gentiles. I think y'all remember the story of Cornelius where Peter has the vision of animals coming down from heaven that prior to that, the Jews were not supposed to partake of or eat of according to God's law, but God was bringing these animals down to Peter saying, Peter, take of these and eat. And when he told him to take and eat of these animals, Peter was like, well, God, I can't do that. It's against the law. And God tells him, don't, don't call something unholy that I call holy or, or good. And so he, he tells him this, and Peter eventually realizes, okay, something's changing here. I need to begin to take this gospel message to the Gentiles. So he takes it to Cornelius' house, and they see an incredible revival break out, people filled with the Holy Ghost. Amazing things happen, really kind of one of the first stories of the Gentiles, people like you and I, being filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, not just Jews anymore, but you and I, a story that should excite us and encourage us in who we are. But shortly after is when this story begins to take place, where Peter goes to a, play, a, a restaurant or a house, a meal, and he is there with these, these Gentiles. He's eating with them after God told him he could eat with them and be with them and that sort of thing. And while he's sitting there, there's a, a group of religious people that walk in, some Jews maybe or whoever it might be that walk into the room. And Peter quickly pushes himself away from the Gentiles and removes himself from that group. And it actually, according to the scripture, encourages other Jews that were with him in the midst of the Gentiles to remove themselves from the Gentiles. And so Peter goes and huddles with 
with his group over here, basically pushing away the Gentiles after God had just told him, the Gentiles are okay, you can preach this gospel message to them. So what Paul is saying here is that he saw this happen, and he walks in and he addresses Peter because he's telling Peter that, that, that God has told you something that you need to begin to obey. He's saying, Peter, even though you are a phenomenal guy, you have preached the day of Pentecost, you have seen the fire of God come down, you have seen amazing works happen around, but what you did here was wrong. He was telling Peter, you need to correct your actions. And the reason he was able to do that is because of the gospel of God, that God had came down. I, knew it, I, I know it wasn't written out at that particular time. However, Paul was saying, Peter, you preached this message and you said that God had revealed this to you, that the Gentiles could receive this word. So this gospel that you are preaching and you are proclaiming, you need to start living it out now. You need to start walking in it. You need to stop fearing what others might think when you live in the midst of that gospel. You need to live it out inside of this world. And Paul is willing to confront him with that. That's why we must trust in this only gospel that we have. That we have one gospel before us and we should not be ashamed when we walk out into this world and begin to, to push away things that God desires us to do just because it might be embarrassing or just because others might say, well, you know, you're praying for somebody or you're healing somebody or whatever it might be. Just because others are ashamed to be around you, it doesn't mean that you push away the gospel that you believe in. Or just because others in your workplace dress differently than you do, you still dress the way that you know that God has called you to dress because it is according to the gospel that is before you. That if we will stand upon this foundation of the rock, as Pastor said this last Sunday, then we will see great things happen. And it will not be washed away as easily as we think it might be. I thought it was phenomenal, that statistic that he put out. I think it was point zero zero eight inches a, a year that that building was being eroded away in Florida before it collapsed. 0 0.008 inches, something that would be very hard to detect, but it's obvious that because that impact of those things just coming and hitting it over and over and over again, that collapse was inevitable. I don't want to live a life where something is just continuing to beat me or I'm living life so close on the edge that I'm, I'm worried about the world eroding away my foundation to where I just collapse and fall. We've seen it here time and time again where people are just so strong in the presence of the Lord, yet there's a big collapse. Things just disappear and fall apart. The reason being is that there was something in there that the gospel said, hey, remove this from your life or something that God was speaking to somebody and yet they said, well, it's only .008 inches a year and I can correct this later on and it doesn't matter it doesn't have a big impact but pretty soon it causes the collapse of the entire building or collapse of our entire faith because we have not been founded upon the rock we must find the only gospel and trust in that here tonight so we see that Paul was quick to address the issue at hand as he began his letter to the Galatians we see that Paul was no longer in this city, but he could not mince his words. Even more, he had to give a warning to the Galatians about the dire consequences of falling away from the true message of the gospel. He did not open this floor up for debate, but he simply declared the truth of the situation. His words were honest and direct. He was telling them what Peter did at this time was wrong. What Peter did in this circumstance was wrong, 
And I was willing to stand upon what I knew God had spoken to us and address that matter in such a way. Now, I understand that, Peter, that Paul confronted Peter in front of a group of people. I'm not saying that that's the way that you should confront everybody because you're probably going to cause issues if that's the way that it is. However, Paul and Peter had worked ministry for a long time together in these circumstances. And so Paul was able to address Peter as leaders inside of the church saying, hey, bro, you're preaching this message, but you're not living it out. And it's time to let it be lived out inside of your life. The, the story, I think for me, and I hope for you all, it gives us confidence that we look at Peter as somebody who's this big, strong guy, and yet he messed up with obeying the gospel of God. And he was still able to come back around and readdress that and become a powerful preacher of the gospel. We, we know what Peter did all up to this particular point in time, yet God still used him. So for us in this room tonight, we can understand that even if we mess things up, even if up to this point we have questioned things inside of the Bible and we have questioned things inside of this gospel, that still tonight we can build our house upon the rock. We can correct the situation that has been wrong and we can readdress it and, and go forward. Peter didn't run home crying and say, man, I'm never going back to Paul ever again or going to minister with them again. But he said, okay, you know, this is obviously something I need to address. And he continued to preach the gospel and move forward in what he knew was the true word of God. So I always pray that God don't let the, these convictions inside of my heart become offenses because offenses are going to remove me away from God. But if I let that conviction become something that says, man, I have more work to do. I, I need to march forward. I, I can do better inside of circumstances inside of my life and not getting upset over it, then God can help me through that and help me stand upon that rock that is the true rock of the gospel in Jesus' name. So we must understand that honesty and directness can offend people when they are guilty of doing wrong. Therefore, we must ensure that we pray and seek the anointing of the Holy Spirit before we engage in confrontation with others around us. That I know it's so easy. I think all of us could raise our hands in this room and say, man, when somebody irritates me, I'm ready to go off and just start speaking something towards them. When somebody speaks bad about God, I'm ready to just go and get in a fight with them at that, that minute, you know, just like I'm going to throw this thing down straight at them. But it's unwise to do that if we don't seek God's face before that. We might even hurt or harm a situation if we're not willing to do that. And so Paul, he addressed this situation very, uh, very easily. And we see that he questioned the Galatians as to why they had so quickly deserted the original gospel. He addressed this issue outright, stating that the Galatians had turned to another gospel, but it was in fact no gospel at all. We see that Paul, in the first scripture that we read tonight, addressed them about believing in an entirely different gospel. But then we see that he uses this situation with Peter about talking to them that if you're going to believe in Jesus Christ, if you're going to believe in God and who he is, then you have to believe in the true gospel and begin to live your life by that true gospel. Because if you don't, again, it's just something that will fall apart. Listen to what this says here. It says, contemporary Christianity is rife with people who seek to diminish the gospel message. They appeal to fleshly desires for material things or alternative lifestyles in order to tempt individuals to compromise. 
As humans, we are often impressed by an individual's personality, their education, their wealth, or their public status. This can intimidate people or give space to affirming ideas that are contrary to the word of God. In the North American church, the prosperity gospel works to glamorize the true gospel by teaching that God does not intend for his people to live meagerly. It states that God's purpose for believers is to prosper, thus proclaiming that material gain is a benefit of serving Jesus Christ. If it was a benefit of serving Jesus Christ, then we all should be driving some Lamborghinis or something out there in the parking lot. But we all know and understand that the prosperity doctrine is one that is not true, that it is meant to attract people. We see that many mega churches have sprung up through the years, often followed by controversy over corrupt financial practices by those in leadership. And throughout history, human beings have tried to fashion the gospel toward the trend of the particular era. Prior to the 20th century, the new thought culture became popular as the development of psychotherapy became more prominent. The mind over matter concept learned toward making humanity into a type of deity responsible for their personal mental well-being, able to overcome any addiction or unacceptable behavior through mental behavioral modification. The Galatians sought to be accepted by the Jewish Christians, thus allowing additional addendums to be added to the gospel. Certain human governing documents, such as the United States Constitution, can be amended as needed in order to form, as the U.S. Constitution states, a more perfect union. However, the gospel message is already perfect, and it does not need to be amended or modified for whatever time period we might be in. It's amazing that the Constitution is so flexible. We see these cases that go up to the Supreme Court over and over again. One day the decision is this way, but the next day the decision is this way about what the Constitution may say. And I don't know about you all, but many days it just confuses my brain and it hurts my mind. It, it directly affects me and my career, what they do inside of some of those decisions. So every day I'm walking one direction and the next day I have to walk a complete different direction because who knows what decision they're going to make. However, I am thankful again that we as apostolics stand upon a gospel, that stand upon a Bible, stand upon a rock that is solid, one that will not waver when the storm comes, one that will not wash away, one that is true for us. And if we are willing to stand upon it, then we do not have to worry about the circumstances of life before us or around us, but we can say, God, I am upon your rock. And upon this rock, I'm going to build my house. I'm going to stand here. This is where my family is going to live. I am going to do everything possible to keep my life upon this rock. And I will fight for it in Jesus' name. But not only that, but when the world and Satan and the storms of life in your flesh begin to come upon you, you can say, I'm standing upon this rock, which is a spiritual rock. And again, it will not wash away when the world begins to tempt you or begins to throw things in your face or begins to challenge you or, or when those things inside of you that you put under the blood many years ago begin to come up again, you can begin to say, I'm upon this rock and I am not going back to those things. I have having no desire to touch those things in Jesus' name because I am upon the rock and the gospel says that I am free indeed and as a result of that, I have liberty in this gospel. You can understand the truth, the, 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 the power 
when you stand upon the rock of God. How prominent it is and amazing it is when you're standing upon the rock of God that these things that once challenged you, they no longer have a leg to stand on to come after you in Jesus' name. So let me ask you this. What is it or what is Paul's warning about preaching a gospel other than the original? What is his warning? Don't do it or you'll get cursed. Amen. Quoting the scripture there, right? Does anybody have something to add to that? Maybe a, a thought on it? Or Pastor Carnian, I don't know if you have anything there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's no gray areas there. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Amen. No other gospel <laughs> kind of puts the final nail inside of the coffin there. He's telling us that there's a reason we have this in front of us. There's a reason we have this truth. And, and back then, I don't know how much of the New Testament had actually been wrote at the particular time that Paul is saying this, but what Paul is saying is that the gospel that the apostles were teaching, Jesus' name baptism, the infilling of the Holy Ghost that we see all throughout the New Testament, he was saying that is the gospel that cannot be changed, it cannot be added to, that we must have trust and faith inside of what they were going around speaking to the people at those particular times in Jesus' name. It's powerful. It's powerful when you begin to think about it. And, and you can begin to see why this church has stood so steadfastly on certain topics and certain ideas. I know that some people have came in here and said, man, that's tough. It, it, it's hard. It's hard in some of these areas. But there's a reason being that if you begin to compromise any of this, again, the whole thing begins to crumble and fall apart in the world around us. And we cannot afford to do that. So Paul not only addressed this with Peter, but he also declared who he was seeking to please. That it wasn't just his own pride or his own excitement that he was going in there and addressing Peter with this, but he was deciding to emphatically that he sought to please God over man. And he was proclaiming the mindset of the Galatians needed to have, or this mindset they needed to have in order to avoid compromising the gospel. In Joshua, we see, choose this day who you will serve. In Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15, choose you this day who you will serve. That's a scripture that you can memorize and put on your mirror or have wake you up inside of the morning. But you must decide every day, who are you going to serve? The people around you, the ideas of the news and media, the thoughts of, of, of those that, that, that in this world who have no idea what this gospel is about, or are you going to fa- uh, put, put your foundation upon the gospel every single morning? 
We see that our purpose is to serve others, and serving people does not equate to pleasing people. Sometimes we get that mixed up, that our purpose is to serve others, yet serving people does not equate to pleasing people. It's not our job to go out there and please this world by who we are as Christians, but it's our job to go out and please God when we go out to this world. We can still serve people and do whatever we, 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 we possibly can to help them, but we must be careful if we begin to get the mindset that we have to please people in order to serve them. Let me give you an example. As a parent, many of you have probably prepared vegetables for your kids, Right? And your kids just love them. I'm sure that they just eat them up and it's their favorite food every single day. I mean, you could just feed them vegetables all day long. You, some of you probably do have kids like that. But for the majority of kids, they do not want to eat those vegetables that you put in front of them. Yet you as a parent know that your child needs to eat vegetables to have the nutrients that they need inside of their body. So if you as a parent decided to take those vegetables and mix them into a bucket of ice cream, which would be incredibly gross, but maybe your, your child would somehow eat those vegetables by mixing them into a bucket of ice cream. Think about how terrible that would be, first of all, with the taste, but second of all, you're, you're doing the exact opposite of what you're trying to do because you're giving them something that's very healthy, but also something that isn't necessarily healthy at all. And so you're basically at ground zero again. Even sometimes they say that if you cook uh, vegetables a certain way that you begin to lose nutrients the more you cook vegetables in, in particular environments. So we all sometimes like to cook our vegetables because we think we're still eating healthy and it is better than a lot of other foods. I don't want to say that it's not, but we begin to lose nutrients when we begin to try to flavor those vegetables in order to make them taste the way that we want to eat them or the way that we desire them in those particular circumstances. What, we're, what we, we learn from that is that to eat raw vegetables is the way that you gain the most nutrients inside of what you are doing. It's the same way with the gospel of Christ, with this gospel that is before us. Do, do we take it and begin to mix it into something else so that it's a little bit easier for us to, to, to devour or to take or to, to, to begin to, to use inside of us? We have to be careful when we begin to mend these scriptures because we're worried about potentially hurting somebody's feeling or turning them away from God if we don't speak to them the full truth or maybe doing kind of a white lie or not necessarily telling them the full truth of that gospel and what it is there. When somebody asks you, does your church praise and worship God and lift hands? And you're kind of like, well, no, we we just sit on the pews or, or whatever it may be. I'm just throwing some circumstances out here that we have to be careful when we water down the gospel just to please people around us, that we are called to serve, but we are not called to please this world. And in fact, the scripture, Jesus himself says this is going to begin to stir things up inside of our communities. It's going to begin to challenge people. It's going to begin to, to meet things head on. And when it meets things head on, believe me, there's going to be a battle in some of those circumstances, not necessarily for us to be in a yelling match, but we must begin to pray and seek God and he will take care of those battles when that time is meant to be. But if we will stand upon the rock as it is, if we will preach it as the way that it is, if we will live by what this rock has before us, then we will receive everything that we were meant to receive from this truth that is here. We will receive the parts that God desires us, the joy and the peace and the deliverance and the freedom that he wants inside of every single person's life in Jesus' name. So do parents serve children by allowing them to abstain from eating vegetables? 
Perhaps a parent mixes the vegetables with ice cream again, but we know that that is not the right way. It demonstrates how in trying to please others, we can become susceptible to diluting the gospel with false doctrines designed to please men and not God. Paul was not speaking of false gods in this situation so much as he was addressing false doctrines, things that were watered down, pieces of gospel that were taken, yet they were changed just a little bit to begin to open up the door for many more. Things inside of the gospel that said, man, if you just believe in Jesus Christ, then, then you can be saved. You don't have to do any other work. You don't have to live for him. You don't have to come to church ever again. That's just the most minor thing that you ever have to do inside of this. He was speaking to these false doctrines. And what did he say inside of that? That you were accursed if you begin to do that. That's some pretty solid stuff here. I know this is deep tonight. I know that this is something that, that's kind of right up inside of our face, but I think it's something that is challenging to us to say, man, we cannot afford to let this gospel go. That whatever we have to do to fight for it, to keep the pureness of this gospel being preached, no matter how much conviction hits us, no matter how painful it is on a Sunday morning, man, we must continue to encourage our pastor and say, Pastor, preach it straight to us. Give us the word of God. We don't want something that's watered down, something that is changed by this world, something that's tainted just to make us feel good. But, Pastor, we want the true word of God to begin to give us the nutrients that we need on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night in Jesus' name, we desire what is here because we know that we need that in Jesus' name. We see, again, Joshua 24 and 15. But again, Paul did not seek to admonish the Galatians in his confrontation, but his intent was to warn them about the dangers of seeking to please men instead of God. In his article, What's Wrong with People-Pleasing, Charles Stone states that people-pleasing Approval-motivated leadership afflicts many of today's church leaders. Surprisingly, 79% of the leaders in one survey of 1,000 pastors and 91% in another survey of over 1,200 pastors admitted to people-pleasing tendencies to some degree in their respective ministries. That desire, however, often makes us susceptible to the type of people-pleasing that becomes problematic. Now, that is not an apostolic statistic. That is Christianity in general. But I, I want to say that in, in apostolic churches, that is a much less percentage in Jesus' name. However, we must still be careful that we do not get into the people-pleasing realm. That we don't just have some hip concert or that sort of thing because that is what we feel that will draw the crowds in. Yeah, you might have a large crowd for that, but it's not going to be the thing that people need inside of their hearts. It's not going to be the infilling of the spirit that begins to lift somebody out of their depression or the places that they're at in Jesus' name. I know that in this room we don't have the fancy lights and strobe things and disco balls and all that sort of stuff going on, but you know the presence of God moves in this room very strongly. We know that, that the presence of God is here and his power is in our midst, so we cannot afford to compromise that just for all of these fancy things that this world may have around us in some of these other churches. And so when we begin to compromise what God has already declared in order to please people, we are treading in dangerous waters that continue to take us down a path that we do not want to go down. 
Balaam is an example of this, and I don't have time to get into his story, but you can read it in Numbers chapter 22, that he had ample opportunity and warning to correct his situation, but instead it was a path that led to his destruction. One clear indication that we are trying to please others over God is when we begin to justify our actions. If tonight, if you are asking yourself, am I being a people pleaser or am I being a God pleaser? Begin to think about that statement right there. Are you justifying your actions? Are you justifying what you have done? Are you justifying the place that you have went? Are you justifying the reason you weren't in the prayer room? Are you justifying the reason you were not in, in, inside of the service? Are you justifying these reasons, these places here with your other actions? Suppose we attend an event where we're surrounded by non-believers engaging in sinful activities. We might say we did this in order to witness to someone or simply to gain approval from coworkers or class. But the sad reality is that whenever we compromise our principles to gain approval, we lose our credibility as Christians in this world. We need credibility inside of this world. You all see what the media does to churches and to places around us, to people's lives, that they will take one small thing and begin to tear it up. You can do a million things right, but when you do that one thing wrong, they're going to find it and they're going to begin to just destroy it and rip it apart and begin to send it out there. People on social media are going to begin to send it around. I mean, you all know what some of those gossip groups are on Facebook and that. It's incredible. The rants and raves pages, you all probably know about those. But I, I, when I learned that there was such a thing out there, that there's a place for rants and raves inside of the city, that you're so upset and overwhelmed with your life that you have to go out there and let the whole world know about this one little thing that was just so terribly wrong inside of your city. I mean, my goodness, what, what have we gotten to as a, a human race when we begin to form things like that? Why can't we just begin to have some grace towards some people and say, man, they might have messed that up. They might have been having a bad day today. They might be angry with me, but man, I'm not going to fault them for that. I'm going to say, God, I pray that you would give them some joy and peace in their lives, help them find salvation. But God, I'm going to dismiss that and move on instead of dwelling upon it and reading everybody else's comments and for days on end and saying, man, this is satisfying to me. That's not satisfying at all. But how freeing is it when we found ourselves upon the gospel and we dismiss that and we show grace towards us other people and then within the next minute you can move on to something brand new forgetting what had just happened to you it's incredible when we begin to show forgiveness and found ourselves find ourselves upon this gospel that is before us the rock that is there in jesus name so we see that inside of these scriptures paul gives a brief testimony of his conversion his ministry and divine revelation and the gospel message of grace again going from one place where he was killing Christians to going to another place where he was now free inside of the kingdom of God. Our personal testimony is one of the most powerful tools that we have in our walk of faith. We see in the world that with many words or references that people will refute anything that we do inside of the kingdom of God. Yet they cannot, with any factual evidence, refute a personal testimony. Our inaction with the true living God can be mocked or scoffed, but it cannot be disproven. 
even more the visible change in our behavior, our attitudes, our outlook should provide a living testimony to those who might watch us from a distance with skepticism. It gives them the ability to maybe mock us or come after us with certain accusations, but still they cannot disprove what has happened in the house of God. That when healings happen, there's no way that they can disprove that God did not do that. When God begins to free you and, and when your, your language begins to change in your work, place and life begins to become happy and you have a smile on your face and people begin to notice that they cannot disprove that as something else inside of your life other than the one true God but your testimony is something that you can stand upon in Jesus name and so we see not only that but Paul was a highly educated in the law and prior to his conversion to Christianity he was even perse- he persecuted those who tried to spread this gospel and so we know the story, and, and you all, if you don't, you can look it up. We don't have time to go into it tonight again, but he was persecuting Christians like you and I, yet God took somebody who was killing people like us and began to use him to become one of the most powerful preachers this world has ever known. When we think about that and how much grace it would take for us to show somebody like that today, if he was the person who killed your husband or your wife or your children, And now God's saying this is the man that's going to be a powerful preacher in this world. Think about having grace or forgiveness inside of that circumstance. Yet this was the challenge that Paul was up against when he began to come forward and say, I need to stand upon the gospel of God. He was saying, I'm a worthless wreck. I did everything completely wrong inside of my life, but it wasn't until I found Jesus, until I put my life upon the rock, that it began to change around and do something brand new for the world that is inside or around my life. He understood the dangers of restrictive ordinances versus the unyielding grace of the gospel. And he understood that there must be a compromise or that there must not be compromise in doctrine to please those who carry influence in this world around us. So Paul's testimony was important to this message that he was carrying forward. That there cannot be compromise in what we believe. There cannot be a wavering in what we believe, even if we don't understand it. We must trust the gospel that is there, trust the situations that God has us in. Because it's a rock, it's a foundation that we can stand upon. Paul confronted Peter for his actions concerning the Gentile Christians in this church. This admonishment must be viewed with caution because Peter was one of the original 12. In fact, he was chosen by Jesus to deliver the first sermon on the day of Pentecost. He was one of the Jewish leaders who had persecuted the Christians So even after his conversion, there were many who did not trust him. Paul was confronting a man who had the authority, who had walked with Jesus, who was there with Jesus. Paul was not there with Jesus. He had came to the show afterwards, and we know the sins that he had committed. Yet he was willing to stand upon the gospel and say, Peter, what you have done here is not right. What you have done in this circumstance is not right. And you must correct it for what the word of God says. We see that Paul was in a position of authority as was Peter. And thus their interaction was not a power struggle. This was an act of love towards a fellow believer of tarnishing the gospel. That Paul was saying, Peter, you have messed up. You have done something wrong here. But you're still my brother. 
you can t- still take steps forward. You can still see people filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, Peter. Don't let this be a life-shaking thing where you, you leave the church and never come back again because it hurt too much when, when I spoke this message to you. But Peter, just understand that I'm trying to tell you there's a reason that the gospel is before you, man. You've got to stand upon it. And when you stand upon it, then you don't have to worry uh, about that shaky ground around you. That when you stand upon it, you don't have to worry about your life crumbling, Peter. That when you stand upon it, you can understand that the Spirit of God inside of you will influence those around you to be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Paul was not there to begin to, to, to build his own pride or to tear somebody down just for the fun of it. But he was there because he wanted his brother encouraged in love in Jesus' name. We have to understand that, that sometimes when our brothers come alongside of us and say, hey man, what you did there was not right. Or maybe when we're excited about a situation, yet we know it might be borderline on the gospel and we present it to somebody else in the church and they're like, hey man, that wasn't really the best way to do it. Maybe you shouldn't have listened to that. Maybe you shouldn't have done that. That we don't just go and say, well, I give up and I'm throwing this Bible in the trash and I'm walking away from this thing totally. But we say, God, help me. Help me in this situation. God, show me what I have done wrong so that I can put my life upon your gospel. God, I want to be based upon your rock in everything that I do. And so, God, if I feel conviction in my life, help me get away from, from those things that have caused that inside of my life so I'm based upon the truth that's there in Jesus' name. We see that Paul declared the liberty that was found in only Jesus Christ. No one could dispute Paul's understanding of the burden imposed by the law prior to this. Those living in North America are not accustomed to subjugation to higher authority to the extent of those who lived in the ancient world. Even more, we are less inclined to understand the authority and the influence of the leaders in that era. Imagine a government that punished people for breaking the Roman laws and a religious group that exercised the, same, exercised the same type of authority over people. That not only did you have a Roman government that was coming down upon you for being a Christian, but you also had a church above you that said, if you're a Gentile and you're, you're living in this Christianity and you're believing in this Jesus Christ, then, then you're, you're messed up. You, you're, you're wild. You, you don't understand what you believe. And they would come down upon you as well. So not only could you be tried in the governmental court, but you could also be tried in the religious court as well. You were constantly facing these two battles. You can understand how tough it would be to live in the midst of those things there. Yet with the liberty of the gospel that Paul was proclaiming, no longer would anyone have to carry the burden of the Mosaic law. No more sacrifices or other penalties were required. Simply a repentant heart and a prayer for forgiveness. So what Paul was saying here is he was saying, man, you all have lived under something that was a huge oppression to you. It was a weight on your shoulders for a long time. But now I'm telling you, if you will put your life upon this rock, man, if you will put your life upon this rock, then you will be delivered from that oppression that has been on you for far too long. It's the same way in this world here today. 
that man, you might go out there and you have the burden of, of making a paycheck every day. You have the burden of going on with life. And if you all, well, many of us were never in the church prior to, to coming here and you understand how tough it was to live inside of this world with laws and things that were upon your shoulders and, and just the, the tough life and maybe not making ends meet and all those sort of things. But what I'm here to tell you today is that man, if you will build your life upon the gospel, then those things can completely change around. I'm not saying you're going to have a big house or a fancy car or those things but what I'm saying is that you will have food upon your table that you will be able to live for God you will have joy back inside of your life you will not have addiction to certain things you will have freedom in who he is in Jesus name if we are willing to build our life upon this gospel it's not just a set of rules that we begin to take on but it's something that's newness of life that delivers us from the law of this world and the things around us i'm not saying that you can go out there and speed 100 miles an hour down the road that, that that's unscriptural as well but what i'm saying is that those things that try to come upon you and put weights upon your shoulder the things that satan has created in this world can no longer affect you if you are willing to found yourself upon on the gospel of Jesus Christ and who he is we have one gospel and we must live upon it we take this for granted today yet Paul warned not to let this be an excuse for impetuous behavior Romans 6 and 12 I believe we have that in here it says what shall we say then shall we continue in sin that grace may abound God forbid how shall we that we are dead to sin, live any longer therein. He's saying sin was once that weight upon your shoulders, but now that you're founded upon the gospel, you are free from that sin that was once a burden to you. That even now, if you mess up and you do something wrong inside of your life and you sin and it feels bad, that you can still come back to a place where you say, God, I have messed up. Please forgive me. And if you have been baptized in Jesus' name, that he will come back and it's washed away, put underneath the blood again, and we can begin to live for him as we walk forward. You can see the liberty of founding your life upon the rock of founding your life upon the gospel, the one true thing that I know it may be, it may be tough at certain times. I know you may not understand it at times. Man, if you will do that, you can have freedom in so many different ways in Jesus' name, just as Paul declared to the Galatian church. And so it says this, that yes, we do make poor choices and fall, but that is not an excuse to pursue sinful living, but we must found ourselves upon the rock. If a person is allergic to eating peanuts, would that person keep on eating them? Not likely, but some people will because they love the taste even though it brings them harm. People will do things that are bad for them, all the while knowing these things will damage their lives, their physical or spiritual well-being. So it is with those who receive salvation, yet return to sinful living. The world may look at us and say that we are boring and our lives are too restrictive, but Paul did not see it this way at all. Instead, he highlighted the liberty of conscience, we, the, the conscience we experience when we are honest in our words and deeds, and the liberty of our minds when we are not under the influence of addictions. 
We experience liberty in our ability to love and forgive others in a world that would seek out retribution for being wronged. Philippians 4 and 7 tells us the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. This is powerful when you begin to think about it. I want to read you a story tonight, and then I have a a three-minute audio clip that we're going to listen to. But this here tonight tells a story of an incredible man, and uh, I would encourage you, if you have not heard any of his messages, that you go and look them up on YouTube, because they are there, and, and they show the power of God. The late Reverend Charles Mahaney was well, a well-known minister inside and outside of the United Pentecostal Church. His conversion testimony is an amazing demonstration of how the power of God changes lives. Charlie, as he was called, grew up in a home racked with conflict as a result of alcohol and drug abuse. As an adult, he continued into the depths of sin himself, becoming the leader of a motorcycle gang and accruing a history of criminal activity. He admitted to being incarcerated more than 10 different times. However, at some point in his destructive road, he crossed paths with the late Reverend Denver Stanford. Brother Stanford became relentless in his pursuit of trying to win Charlie to the Lord. After another encounter with the law, Charlie again found himself in prison for a long sentence. He, testi- he testified to calling on the Lord, stating, Lord, if you will get me out of jail, then I will be the biggest nut for God you've ever seen. And if not, I won't bother you, and you won't bother me. And after praying that prayer, Charlie began to sing an old hymn, and the spirit of peace filled that jail cell. He said it was unlike anything that he had ever experienced. Sometime later, the judge who had sentenced him called the prison warden and rescinded the sentence, allowing Charlie to go free. Not long after, Charlie decided to make good on his promise and went to visit Pastor Stanford's church. During the service, Charlie became overcome with emotion and made his way to the altar, where he repented of his sins and was filled with the Shortly after he was baptized in Jesus' name, Charlie said he had never felt so clean in his entire life. At some point in his life, Brother Mahaney discovered that he was of Jewish descent. After his conversion, the knowledge motivated him to delve deeply into Hebrew studies and languages. As his ministry began to grow, he was able to understand the Jewish-Christian connections in a very personal way. He never swayed from the fundamental doctrine the gospel espoused. Brother Mahaney's personal history of Jewish descent and his firsthand knowledge of incarceration also helped shape his ministry. Regardless of the previous influences, he maintained the message of the gospel, not being swayed by his lineage or celebrated status of other people he encountered. He was known as a staunch defender of the faith and Christian circles. And so tonight, to conclude this, I want to just play uh, three minutes from one of his sermons that I just put forward so you can hear his preaching as a result of this testimony in Jesus' name. I thought about that mama, one of the wives of Solomon. They had her boys hanging out there. You know what she'd done? She went out and she spread sackcloth, and for four months she kept those vultures beat off of that child's, that boy she loved so much. I'm going to tell you what mama needs to do. I'm going to tell you what the church needs to do. We need to stand for truth and the worship and the power of God like we've never had. 
I had a man tell me a while back, he said, I hope we live to see the day that we can just almost bypass preaching in the United Pentecostal Church. I said, what? He said, I hope we live to see the day that we're so talented and have so many magic shows and puppet shows and denominal church films and all this stuff that a man of God don't have to get to the pulpit and blow his throat out and burn himself out preaching. I said, I'm telling you what, buddy, the day we bypass old time preaching, that's the day we're in trouble with God. It's going to take preaching. It's going to take one God preaching, Jesus' name preaching, Holy Ghost preaching. Friend, I want you to know I've got some children I want to see in the church. And you know what the church needs to do? She needs to exercise her right as a mama. When things come down, she needs to chase them out and say, Our kids are going to hear the preaching of the Word of God. I liked what Brother Abby said, street meeting tomorrow. I felt like I was in Arkansas again. I went to this town, took a church, and they told me, said, we don't allow people to have street meetings in this town. And I said, you looking at a preacher fixing to have a street meeting. You say, you're supposed to obey the law. Well, I will if they'll obey the laws of God. They, the mayor told me, said, if you get on the street and preach, Pastor Haney, you're going to jail. I said, big deal. <laughs> Hallelujah. So we went and bought us a flatbed truck, wagon. The Mike Britt was up there with us when we was getting it ready. Got us a PA system, went out on the street. First night, about five squad cars pulled up, two TV stations with their cameras rolling, two newspapers, hallelujah. And they said, we want to ask you one question. Have you got permission to be out here? I said, I sure do. They said, who give you permission? I said, Jesus did. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm going to tell you what, friend, there's something wrong when mama don't care no more. There's something wrong when mama don't care about those babies. There's something wrong when mama don't care. I was preaching in a church a while back. They hadn't given an altar call in three years. You know, a real fired up place. still going a little bit. Got it. Awesome. So you all can see. I don't, I don't know if I... You can hear me. But anyway, y'all can see what the life-changing impact did uh, inside of his life. It, you know, it, he's preaching these messages and going out there and just proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ because he knows the power that is inside of that. I, I hope that brought you some joy. He, that message was about the, the, that, uh, the, the church that we are the mother and we're meant to go out and reach the children that are in this world. That uh, as, as the church, we are meant to take care of people and, and see people uh, come to God. So that's what he was preaching inside of that message. But I hope that brought you some joy tonight of just saying, man, this is a guy who was in prison numerous times and now he is preaching these messages and seeing people filled with the Holy Ghost in numerous things. And, and there was just testimony after testimony in those messages. So praise God that we have a gospel that is liberating to every single one of us. It's not restrictive. It's not a bunch of rules. It doesn't keep us confined in a little box, but it gives us freedom that we have never had before in Jesus name. So if we could stand tonight, let's just begin to lift our hands and let's just begin to pray unto God and let that impact us in Jesus wonderful name.